Hey, Obsassnacks, it's Chelsea back for another episode of the Sassnack Files. This week, I am discussing the second episode of Men in Kilts. But before we get to that, I want to take a moment to remind you that you can find the Sassnack Files on all sorts of listening platforms, including iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and many more. Also, if you have not had a chance yet, make sure you head over to follow the Sassnack Files on both Facebook and Instagram to make sure you are up to date on all of the latest and greatest news concerning Outlander season seven and eight, as well as Blood of My Blood and anything Diana Gabaldon cooks up. And with all of that out of the way, let's get into the second episode of Men in Kilts, Scottish Sport. This week, we're talking about Scottish sports. I was actually really excited for this episode, primarily because I love sports. And I don't know much about the sports that Sam and Graham are kind of learning about in this episode. I've always kind of wanted to dabble in rugby especially, but shinty is also kind of interesting to me. So this episode was a good chance for me to learn a little bit about these sports. We start out this episode with something extremely familiar to those of us in the U.S., surfing. And, you know, this just did not look appealing to me whatsoever. It's It looks so cold. That's all I could think when I was watching Sam and Graham in their wetsuits on the surfboards. I was like, God, that looks miserable. Because, you know, here in the U.S., typically when you go surfing, not always, but typically you're going somewhere warm, like California or Hawaii. And even the people that surf on the East Coast Most of the time, they do it in the summer. So, yeah, I was not on board with all the coldness. My interest was piqued whenever they started out this episode with surfing, because surfing is not something that you typically think of when you think of Scottish sport, right? Like rugby, yes. Shinty, yes. Golf, yes. Not surfing. So that was definitely a heck of a way to start this episode off. The first sport that they really touched on that I was excited to hear more about was Shinty. And I first started learning about Shinty whenever I watched Outlander and I saw that scene between Jamie and Dougal where they have at it along with a bunch of other guys and they just beat the holy hell out of each other. You know, (laughs) there's something on a very simple and animalistic level where you kind of just enjoy those really rough sports. At least I do. That's why I like football. And I think that's why I find the idea of rugby super appealing, even though I don't know much about it other than what I have learned by watching Men in Kilts. (laughs) But Shinty is basically a cross between field hockey and lacrosse and rugby, honestly, like from what I know of it, it's just extremely physical, extremely dangerous. You're hitting a solid leather ball back and forth with wooden sticks. So it's kind of like hockey, but without all the protective gear. And many, many, many players over the years have lost 
eyes, teeth, even been knocked unconscious. And so in the book, Clanlands, Sam and Graham actually play Shinty with the Inverness girls Shinty team, which (laughs) is super funny if you actually read it. And I'm going to read you an excerpt here. So this particular piece is from Sam's point of view. As the ladies take to the field, the beast is unleashed. They charge at us, stealing a ball. I brought another just in case and fire a rocket shot at the poor goalie. She doesn't flinch and fires it straight back at Graham and me. We duck and begin to realize we're out of our depth. This isn't acting. The Inverness Shinty girls are the real deal. Maybe I should feign an injury, Graham pants, but I am determined to win. I charge the pack. A third ball appears at Graham's feet. Definitely safer to attack him than these crazed teenagers. We grapple for the ball, much like the scene in Outlander, and it's exhausting. After only 10 minutes of running around, we're done, and while the girls are distracted taking pieces out of each other, we sneak off to the camper for a coffee and Graham's mid-morning snack. So that is kind of Sam's point of view on that. And then we hand over to Graham, who... (laughs) Ever the entertainer is relaying the scene from his point of view. And it says, "Um, Sam, I want to win. Come on. He is so pathetically competitive, running around like a sugar-spiked six-year-old. Sam, come on, Graham. The ginger Duracell bunny is roaring up and down the pitch, barging into me, pushing me, roughing me up. Sam, come on, girls, I'll show you how it's not done. He's like Lord Flashheart on speed. Shinty is, by the standards of most sports, exceptionally violent. (laughs) So then he goes into talking a little bit about the history of the sport. There were actually no rules for Shinty until 1848. And quite frequently, shin and ankle shots are actually widely accepted. So you can just whack somebody in the shin or the ankle with your wooden stick. And it's like totally fine. It's not a foul. It's not anything like that. And today... Games have 12 players per team and it's a regulation size pitch, which means there are standard measurements for length, width, all of that. But back in the day, there could be up to 50 players per team. So it's literally just a bunch of Scottish people running around clubbing the hell out of each other with hockey sticks. (laughs) And it seems exceptionally violent, but actually really entertaining. And I tried to convince my mom to go to a shinty match when we were in Scotland, but we just never got around to it. But I think that would be so entertaining. From Shinty, we move on to the Highland Games, which is another pretty interesting set of sports, I guess, if you want to call them that. A lot of them are reminiscent of the track and field that we see today, but you can tell that they're a bit more ancient sports than what we see. And there are a ton of different events that make up the Highland Games. You've got caber tossing, hammer throwing, shot put, wait for height, and tug of war. So the only one of those that I did not know what it was, was wait for height. I'll go over all of them just so if you aren't familiar with those particular activities, you will know what I'm talking about. Tossing the caber is when you have a really long, it looks like a pole or a log, and you like hold it in your hands at like stomach level, and you run, and you literally throw it up in the air to get it to fly end over end and land 
as far away as possible. That's the point. And whoever throws it the farthest wins that event. Hammer throwing is what we see in this episode that Sam and Graham are taking part in learning from Kyle Randalls. He's a Highland Game competitor. And as he puts it, he spends all summer running around and throwing shit, which I found so entertaining. And clearly Graham did too, because he just started laughing when he said that. These events are actually very dangerous. His main event is the hammer throw. And the small hammer is 16 pounds and 4 foot 2 inches. But what he calls the Mac Daddy or the Braemar hammer weighs 22 pounds and is not nearly as flexible. These can actually cause injuries. And he said that at one point when he was throwing the hammer, he actually tore the whole left side of his stomach or or all of his abdominal muscles, which must have been so completely painful, I can't even imagine that. Ugh, it gives me the willies. But it was pretty entertaining watching Sam and Graham try to learn to throw the hammer. And it's not something that I would ever in a million years try to do because I'm just not coordinated and I'm actually a very clumsy individual. And I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't even be able to swing the hammer around, let alone throw it without pulling a Kyle Randall's and ripping the entire left side of my abdomen. So Sam got 12 feet, nine inches and Graham got 13 feet, 0.18 inches. So Graham won that. It was very close. And I'm not going to lie. It's one of those things that I think if Sam had thrown it properly and not gone around like six times before he released it, I think he probably would have beat Graham by a good margin, but he was probably just tired by the time he got to round six. And that's, it's like Kyle said, he's like, I'm exhausted watching that. And this is kind of where we really start to see the competition ramp up because whoever loses this set of games that they have set up over the course of this episode has to skinny dip in the North Atlantic. And I am never gonna put down a bet that lets me watch Sam Hewen run across a beach naked, okay? <laughs> I think it was something that we all enjoyed, even if it was like super lighthearted and funny. And I actually felt really bad for him because you could tell it was absolutely freezing that day. It's funny because I believe it's in the Clanlands Almanac that got released, but they were telling a little bit of the story behind that. And they had actually chosen a time when the tide was out. So it was several yards further of a run to the water than it would have been if the tide was in. And I want to say, and I could be just totally making this up, but I'm pretty sure that there ended up being people there, like not there to watch that specifically, but people that were there like enjoying the beach. And then Sam like just comes running across the beach, butt ass naked. And they didn't even flinch an eye, <laughs> which I thought was so freaking funny. I probably would have been shell-shocked, honestly. But I kind of gathered that wherever these people were from, skinny dipping and nude sunbathing and stuff was pretty much a regular occurrence for them. So they weren't really surprised, I guess. But seeing how sore of a loser Sam is and progresses into as this episode moves along, like you can 100% tell that he only made that bet with Graham because he thought he would win. <laughs> and I do feel like it was played up a little bit just because 
they had to have something interesting and eventful to have going on. Like, I don't think that they intended to do this competition whenever they first started planning out this episode, but it was one of those things that kind of just evolved and then they had to play it up for entertainment value. Nevertheless, I'm never going to turn down watching some good healthy competition. It's always fun. So continuing on with the Highland Games, you've got Shot Put, which is throwing a really heavy stone in this case, but more often in modern times, like whenever you watch track and field, you see a lead ball that they're throwing, and that is also Shot Put. Weight for Height, like I said, was the only one that I was not really familiar with, and that is where they hold this bell-shaped weight, and they throw it up as high as they can to like get it over a bar or some sort of obstacle. And I'm guessing, I've never watched this personally, but I'm guessing they are always increasing the height after each round, kind of like high jump. And what I didn't find when I was researching this was any sort of long jump or high jump, but I'm pretty sure that they do those things because they were talking about there being a jumping pit at Braemar. And then of course there's tug of war, which I think most people around the world are familiar with that game. So a lot of these kind of originated at the Highland Games and there's speculation that the model for the Highland Games with the clans competing is actually the basis of what we see with the modern day Olympics, which I thought was pretty interesting. In the beginning, the Highland Games really began as a way to let the clans suss out their best representatives and show the biggest and the strongest and the fastest men. And basically, it was a way for them to not only practice their warrior skills, but to kind of flaunt those in front of other clans as well. Like, you don't want to mess with us. Look what we can do. We can toss a caber however many yards, you know? One thing that we got to learn a little bit about in clan lands that was touched upon in this episode was the idea of strongman competitions and lifting heavy rocks and putting them on other things. So the Puterak stone, I believe is how you pronounce it. The Puterak stone is a 100 kilogram rock that's roughly about 200 pounds and people from all over the world come to lift this stone and I guess back in the day it was a way to prove your manhood like you weren't a man officially until you could lift this stone and put it up on the pedestal or whatever it was so naturally Graham tries to get his hands underneath it and was like mm, mm, nope I'm good Not today, folks. (laughs) Um, It is heavy and I can confirm, but yeah, I'm not going to try to lift it. And then Sam is just like, I really want to lift it. Like you can tell that he really prides himself on his physical capabilities and really loves to push himself. I was kind of applauding a little bit that he was able to lift this stone and put it up on the pedestal. And in the book, Graham is telling the story as Sam is doing it. And he is so proud of Sam. Like he just wants to jump up and down and like pat him on the back and be like, good job, buddy, (laughs) which I think is so cute. And Graham is even quoted as saying, I find myself genuinely delighted, cheering and slapping his back. I feel strangely proud. My boy. It really goes to show their relationship. And I think as this show progresses and as the book progresses, you really start to get a feel for the kind of relationship 
relationship that they have, which honestly is one of the most enjoyable parts of Men and Kilts. So from here, we get to St. Andrews. And my brother is a super huge golfer. Like he loves golf with a passion. And one day he will get to Scotland with me and he wants to play at St. Andrews so bad. And I guess that this is only a passion or like an aspiration that someone who loves golf can have. Like, I personally just don't understand the allure. Like, I think the history is cool. And yes, it is a beautiful course at a beautiful location. It's Scotland, for goodness sake. But I just don't understand what all the shock and awe value of it is, I guess. But like I said, it is historic. It hosted the world's first open tournament. It's one of the golf competitions. Like, the U.S. has the U.S. Open. But then there's the Open, which is always hosted in Britain, I believe and I could be misquoted on that. And if Kyle ever listens to this, he's probably going to strangle me because (laughs) it's like, have you not been listening to anything I said? But it hosted the world's first open tournament. And St. Andrews is actually the inventor of the 18-hole course that we get all over the world today. And... I have been listening, Kyle, I promise, because St. Andrews is a Lynx-style course, which means that it has never been modified by any sort of machinery. It is 100% the landscape, and you have to walk it. There are no carts on the Lynx course, and I believe there is, like, the new course and the old course at St. Andrews, and the old course is the one where you can't take any carts. You have to walk it. The new course, I think, that you can't have carts on, but I'm not 100% sure on that. People have been playing golf at St. Andrews for 400 to 500 years. That is a massive amount of time that golf has been a thing there. And so that in and of itself is just crazy to me, which I guess is three quarters of the draw for playing at St. Andrews. I saved the best for last. Kind of. And every time I go to Scotland, I always go to Edinburgh because it is one of my absolute favorite places on planet Earth. And I remember in September of 2021... I believe, because COVID was kind of still going on and we had some restrictions. I went to Scotland by myself and I took the train up from London and it was a long, long, long day. I got up at like 6.30 in the morning my time to fly into LaGuardia Airport and then I took a taxi from LaGuardia to JFK and then I sat in JFK for almost seven hours and then I got on a flight from JFK to London, flew to London, got on the metro, took an hour ride on the tube to King's Cross Station, got on a train from King's Cross Station to Edinburgh, which is like a five-hour train ride. So by the time I get to Edinburgh, I'm so exhausted. I can barely stand, but I just have this energy, right? And I come up the escalator onto Prince's Street and I just turn around and there's Old Town sitting up on the hill and you're right by the Sir Walter Scott monument. And it's just such a beautiful town and it happened to be sunny that day, which is a rarity in Scotland. And it was so gorgeous. And I was on the phone with my mom. I was FaceTiming with her at the time. And a Apparently, I just had this look on my face. I felt like I was glowing and I look at her and she's just smiling at me and I go, what? 
what? And she says, all right, I'll let you go. You're in your happy place now. And I was like, it is my happy place. I could just camp there for days. And so every time I go to Edinburgh, at some point, if you leave the city at all, on your way out, you're going to pass Fortress Murray Field, which is the rugby stadium that holds 67,000 spectators. So it's not a small stadium by any means, but, (laughs) and this is kind (laughs) of, It's going to sound like kind of crazy, probably. 67,000 people is a lot of people, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of small compared to what I'm used to because I'm from Indiana and most people in the world, if they know Indiana at all, they know about the Indy 500, which is the largest single day sporting event in the world. And it is 300,000 spectators in the grandstands. That's not including the people that are in the infield. And that's all at the same time people crammed in there. So while 67,000 people is a lot of people, when you've been to a sporting event with 300,000 people, 350,000 actually is probably kind of close to where it was because I went to the 100th running of the Indy 500 and it was completely sold out grandstands and infield. So it's a amazing experience. And I totally understand what Sam is saying when he's like, you come to this place and it's just buzzing with excitement and the energy of that many people all at once, like for a sporting event and cheering you on and even people highly intoxicated. There's just this atmosphere about these sporting venues with these steeped histories. So I get it 100%. And to be quite honest, rugby seems really cool to me. It's something that I'm super interested in. And if I ever get back to Scotland where I have a little bit of free time, I would absolutely love to go to a rugby match. And better yet, I would love to go to a rugby match with somebody who understands what the hell is going on. So you can explain it to me and we can have fun together. So if you want to be that person, please feel free. From what I can gather of what Sam was able to explain, rugby has a pitch or a field. You can only pass the ball backwards, but running forward. The whole goal of this is to try to get the ball from one end of the field to the other end of the field for a try. And what that is, is you're trying to kick the ball through the goalpost, much like you would a field goal or an extra point in American football. The most noticeable difference, I guess, between rugby and American football is that there are no protective pads. And I actually heard somewhere because one of my friends in college, she was on the women's rugby team, and she said that there's actually less injuries in rugby than there are in American football because there's this false sense of security in American football because you're wearing all of this protective gear. Whereas in rugby, while there are some nasty injuries and you spend 95% of your time bruised to all hell, you're also very aware of the fact that nobody is wearing any protection. And if you hurt somebody, you're going to hurt somebody really bad. Like there is no false sense of security there. So all of this being said and done when Sam and Graham are doing their competition at Murray Field, I don't know how, how Sam missed that toss into the trash can with the first ball. (laughs) That's what I kept thinking whenever I was watching this. I was like, oh my God, he was in way too much of a hurry. Like he should have just taken his time and been a little gentler with the toss and he would have, you know, had a big goose egg with the bet and he wouldn't have had to jump into the North Atlantic, which just I'm sure was absolutely painful. 
I've never skinny dipped in the North Atlantic, but on spring break one year when I was in college, we went to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It was the end of March and it was like 40 degree highs, 50 degree highs. So it was pretty cold outside. We were playing truth or dare one night and I picked dare because I'm a truth girl. Like I don't hide anything. So I would much rather just tell somebody something they want to know, but they weren't going to let me out of the game without picking a dare. And then they dared me to jump into the outdoor swimming pool at our hotel and didn't think that I would do it. And, you know, it was that added little, like, twist of the knife that they're like, you're too much of a scaredy cat. There's no way that you're going to do it. Then I was like, um, bet your ass I'm going to be doing it then. So I jumped into this pool that was, like, probably 45 degrees, and it was freezing outside. And there were people watching us out of their hotel windows because they just thought we were freaking insane. Probably thought we were highly intoxicated, but we weren't. We were just being goofy college girls. So that's my little story for the day. But (laughs) all of that being said, there is one little thing that I want to mention, and I wasn't entirely sure where to put this in the Men in Kilts extravaganza because it is a little detail from Clanlands. And then I thought, you know, I should just mention it in the Scottish sports section because it reminds me a lot of the gladiator activities in Rome. So there were two clans, the Camerons, and the Macintoshes. And they have this ancient feud they're very famous for. And it went on for over 300 years until King Robert III of Scotland finally was like, you know what? This is freaking ridiculous. I'm going to settle this once and for all. And so his solution was to set up a gladiatorial style fight that's now known as the Battle of the North Inch. So the Macintoshes were part of this super clan called Clan Chatton, which was basically a bunch of clans that kind of banded together into this alliance known as Clan Chatton. And they would kind of just have each other's backs when other clans decided to try to pick on anybody from Clan Chatton. They all got together at the Battle of North Inch, but due to some battle line politics, shall we say, one of the clans of the Super Clan decided to walk out. Clan Davidson. They left the field and then Clan Chatton went down like a sack of potatoes because Clan Davidson was a large portion of the men that showed up to fight that day. So this whole idea of these extremely violent sports really kind of sets the stage for even modern day sports we get like rugby and shinty. There's a quote from Clanlands that I thought was extremely fitting when they talk about Murray Field in this episode. They're very keen on discussing how almost eerie it is to stand in an empty sports stadium. They're also in Clanlands talking about how you get that kind of eerie feeling in places of historical significance. And the quote says, At some of the more famous locations, such as Culloden, the Isle of Egg, the North Inch, if you close your eyes, you can almost hear the battle cries of the warriors and the screams of the dying and wounded. It is a race forged in the crucible of death. For a Highlander, fighting was as natural as breathing. And so I thought that that wraps this all up nicely because sports are really, or really got their start in practicing for the real thing. And even Shinty 
was used to practice swordplay technique. So when you look at it, it's not really that different, sports and warfare. It's really just one is play and one is very serious, but they very much go hand in hand. And with all of that, that wraps up my discussion on the episode. But it is now time for my Sam and Graham shenanigans of the week, which was easily the haggis hunting conversation in Men and Celts. And I had all these grand intentions of trying to play it for you guys, but I couldn't get my software to work. So that's a problem for another day. But oh my God, if I was not rolling on the floor laughing the first time I saw this, them making sound effects and talking about, like they just keep making the story grander and grander and grander. And they're like, oh, this is prime haggis country here, you know, with the brilliant plumage. And you know, back in the time of the clans, they had giant haggis and they're extinct now. And they just keep bantering off of each other and building this story until Graham just dissolves into peels of laughter. And again, this is the reason that I have this little recap at the end with the the shenanigans of the week, because honest to God, it is my favorite part of watching this show is watching their friendship. And then the last piece of this episode is my witty one-liner. And this week, it again goes to Sam and he is talking about how he spent many a day in Murrayfield watching Scotland clutching defeat from the jaws of victory. And having tried to root for the Indianapolis Colts this American football season, I 100% understand that phrase way too well. Clutching defeat from the jaws of victory. It is painful, but, you know, it's all in good fun, right? So that wraps up this week's episode of Men in Kilts. Make sure to join me next week when I discuss episode three, Song and Dance. No new Outlander news this week. We did get a little behind the scenes video of kind of touring the Wilmington set. I did share that on the Sassanac Files Facebook page, as well as my private group, TSF of Sassanacs. So if you've not seen it yet, you can head over and check it out. Also, I want to make sure to mention that on Saturday, March 11th, At 2 p.m. Eastern Time, I am going to be conducting my next edition of Droughtlander Book Club on The Broken Brooch by Catherine Lowry Logan. So if you have not read that book yet, or if you have not checked out the Celtic Brooch series, I highly recommend it. And I always have a great time discussing the books with you guys when I do book club. So make sure to join me for all of my upcoming activities for the Sassanac Files. And again, I'll be chatting song and dance next week. So make sure to come back and join me. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and I will chat at you later. Bye.